Well, we're working our way through our Jesus series, and um, tonight we're in our third week of this series, and tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus as our model, or I'm going to use a different term tonight. I'm going to use the term Jesus as our rabbi, Jesus the rabbi. So we talked about Jesus the son, we talked about Jesus the healer, and tonight I want to talk about Jesus the rabbi. Rabbi, the term rabbi means master or great one or teacher. And so if you're talking about a rabbi, you're talking about a teacher or a master of their subject or a great one, someone who's to be respected. And rabbis were respected in Jesus' day. And some of you are thinking, rabbi, that's, that's not really something we talk about much in our church, right? That's, that's more of a Jewish thing. But guess what? Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus was a rabbi, and so we're going to be talking tonight about Jesus, the rabbi. A rabbi was someone who was very respected and somebody who was followed by disciples. So let's just start with this question. Have you ever followed someone? And I'm not talking about followed someone in your car in like a creepy way or like followed someone around a building. Like I'm not talking about stalking. I'm talking about have you ever really followed someone that you wanted to be like them? One of the awesome things about being a father and having four boys is that my boys follow me around. When I wake up, Charlie's waiting for me, and when I do something, Charlie does it with me, and if I'm getting in the truck and driving, Charlie wants to ride in the truck, and no matter what I do, he wants to follow me, he wants to be like me, and that's a, that's a really cool thing for a father. Right now, Jack is our, he's about to be a year old, he's our youngest, and we have a thing going on right now, Jack's first thing that he's learned as kind of like a personality thing is a couple weeks ago I had one of their toys, and I was doing the whole thing where you pretend to eat it, so I was throwing it behind me and pretending to eat it, and I'd say, and throw it behind me, or I'd throw it down my shirt and pretend I ate it, so now Jack, like every five minutes, will just take his hand and go, because he wants to be like me. I remember when I was a little boy, and, and my dad was a pastor at Springdale Church of the Nazarene with the youth group, and I remember at some of the youth events, you know what I used to do? I used to take shaving cream, and I would cake it on my face, my little baby face, and I would take the Bic razor, and I would leave the orange part on it, because I was terrified of that little razor, and I would shave my face with shaving cream and with a razor with a cap on it, because I wanted to be like my father. And so if you, I don't know if you've ever followed someone like that. I don't know if you've ever really wanted to be like someone. I'm a big fan of basketball. We talk about basketball quite a bit in here. And, um, and if you were alive in the late 80s, early 90s, then you know of a guy named Michael Jordan, probably the greatest basketball player to ever walk the face of the earth, the greatest, or the GOAT, as they say, greatest of all time, and so Michael Jordan was the best, and there were all of these commercials when he was playing, when he was winning his six championships, there were these commercials, Gatorade had one that was all about being like Mike, if I could be like Mike, that was Gatorade, right, or was it Nike? Gatorade, thank you, Robert, I knew you would know. Uh, and so there were these commercials that were, I mean, even a song was written, be like Mike, if I could be like Mike, and guess what happened? Toward the end of Michael Jordan's career, another guy came along. His name, you've probably heard of this guy too, his name was Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant 
had watched Michael Jordan play as a kid, had watched his films, had seen him play in person, had studied him over and over again, and Kobe Bryant wanted to be like Mike. I'm sure he'd heard the commercials. I'm sure he sang the song when he was getting ready in the morning. If I could be like Mike. And Kobe Bryant became a professional basketball player. And he'll go down as one of the best players of all time as well. But there's this really cool thing. So if if you don't care about basketball, tune this part out. That's cool. But if you do, there's this really cool thing. You can go on YouTube. And you can Google Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan comparison or Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan identical. And and what will come up is all these videos where they've taken Michael Jordan on one side and Kobe Bryant on the other. And you just see play after play how Kobe Bryant has mimicked exactly what Michael Jordan does. So you'll see a play where, where Michael Jordan does a certain move and then you'll see the exact thing from Kobe. You'll see Michael Jordan celebrating and you'll see the exact thing from Kobe because Kobe wanted to be like Mike. He followed everything that he did as a basketball player was about becoming like Mike. And and so we're going to talk tonight about the idea of a rabbi, somebody to be followed. And we're going to talk about another term tonight that we use quite a bit in the church, the term disciple. That's something you've heard. If you've been in the church very long, you've heard the word disciple. We throw it around all the time. And so we're going to talk about a rabbi who's to be followed, and we're going to talk about disciples who follow. So what does it mean to be a disciple? We use that term all the time. What does it mean to be a disciple in today's church? If you take the average person that comes to church and talk about disciples or discipleship, what do you think is going through those people's heads? Maybe it's this. A disciple is somebody that comes to church. That's what, that's what makes you a disciple, that you come to church. Maybe being a disciple is being a part of Bible studies or knowing scripture or being at the church more than just on Sunday morning, but something deeper Maybe being a disciple is knowing the words to that thing in the, in the chair in front of you that we don't use a whole lot anymore, the book that's called a hymnal. Maybe if you know a bunch of hymns, then you're a disciple, right? Maybe being a disciple is having seen Facing the Giants and Fireproof and all of these different Christian movies that have come out. I, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of joking around with you, but seriously, I think that we have this idea that discipleship and that a disciple is kind of this casual thing. A big term that we, t- we talk about and throw around these days is the idea of identifying as something. And I think sometimes we think that we can just identify ourselves as a disciple, and that makes us a disciple. Well, I want to look at, at what it really means to be a disciple tonight, and I want to look at what that means when Jesus is the rabbi. And so let's take a look back in Jesus' time at what it meant to be a disciple, I'm going to put on my Rabbi Alex hat because during vacation Bible school with the kids here, I put on that hat and the costume, and I pretend to be a rabbi, and I teach them about this stuff. So I'm going to teach you some of the things that I, taught, I teach the little kids at vacation Bible school. And here it is. So if you were a four- to six-year-old in Jesus' day, you would begin to go to school. You would begin to learn. Your school was a little bit different because if you started to go to the synagogue school, you would start to memorize the Torah. Now, if you're not familiar with what that is, the Torah is the first five books 
of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, when you were four to six years old, you would start going to school, and this was called Bet Sefer, Sefer, and you would start studying and memorizing the Torah. And you would go to school until you were about 10 years old, and some of these kids, when they were 10 years old and finished up Bet Sefer, they would actually have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Have any of you ever read through the entire first five books of the Bible? <laughs> so I'm doing this thing right now that I, I'm reading through the Bible, and it's a, it's a year-long plan. I started about 70 days ago, and every night I'm reading what it tells me to read. And so I, I'm kind of getting through that part of the Bible right now. And can I just be honest with you? That's not the easiest part of the Bible to read. And the, these kids were four to ten years old, and they would memorize it. And so they would go to school from age four to six to ten, and they would, they would memorize the Torah. That's not an easy thing to do. When I was, I think, six years old, I started out in Elaine Mahaffey's kindergarten school at a house on Whitehall Circle over there, and I was learning to read. That was my start to my education. These kids are memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Well, when you got to the age 10, if you were a really good student and if you were doing a really good job, maybe you would get to move on to the next level of education, and this was called Beit Talmud. And what you would do in Beit Talmud is you would learn the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures which is the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And so if you think memorizing the first five books of the Bible is a big deal, then after age 10, for the next five or six years, they're learning the rest of the Old Testament. If you were the best of the best, then you got to move on to Beit Talmud. And so I started in Elaine Mahaffey's kindergarten on Whitehall Circle and started learning to read. And then when I, when I finished junior high school, I, I went to a school called Hume Fogg Academic Magnet. That sounds pretty impressive if we're talking about academics, but if, if we're talking about sports, which I really care about, it's not super impressive sounding. But I went to Hume Fogg Academic Magnet, and it was a good school. You had to do certain things to get into that school. It's always one of the best schools in the nation as far as test scores and academics and all that. And I'm not telling you that so you'll think I'm smart, because I'm not. But, but I'm telling you like this, so if you were the best of the best, you got to move on to Beit Talmud. And then at about age 15, 16, if you were the best of the best of the best, if you were the top student... You got to move on, if you wanted to, to Beit Midrash. And Beit Midrash was all about becoming a disciple. So there's a rabbi that's been teaching you all this time, a respected person, a master, a teacher, and if you were the best of the best of the best, you got the opportunity when you were 15 or 16 years old to become a disciple of the rabbi. Now I want to talk about what that looked like. Being a disciple was not just learning what the rabbi knew. Being a disciple was not just learning information. Being a disciple was about doing what the rabbi did. It was about being like the rabbi. And so every rabbi had a set of interpretations. They had their take on the scriptures and on the Torah and how they translated it, and that was called the rabbi's yoke. 
And if you were the best of the best of the best, and you wanted to be a disciple of the rabbi, then you would take the rabbi's yoke on you. You would learn not just what the rabbi knew, but what the rabbi did, and you would do everything you could to become like the rabbi. And so they had this little test where the rabbi would, would sit the student down and they would grill them and they would, they would go through this intense interview because the rabbi had to make sure that the student was good enough, was sharp enough to become like the rabbi. And if they were, and if they had the opportunity to be a disciple, then they could drop everything in life and follow the rabbi. So I, I went to Hume Fogg, and Hume Fogg was a really good high school, and if you did really well in Hume Fogg, if you were the best of the best at Hume Fogg, you got to do just about anything you wanted at the next level. A lot of people in my high school went to Harvard or Yale, or they became the top of their class, or they got jobs in, in science field and stuff like that, and, and so I got to my senior year, and, um, and I went to Trevecca. Have any, did any of you go to Trevecca? Just so I know who I'm offending? Okay. All right. Well, listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to both of you. You're both great. Um, Trevecca's a good school. There's nothing wrong with it. But when your classmates are going to Harvard and Yale, I remember my senior year, I was in math class, and my teacher called me up to, to his desk, and he said, um, Alex, I heard that you're going to Trevecca. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to Trevecca. And he was like, no way! You could do something. Mean, and so this idea that like if you're the best of the best, then you could move on to something great. And a lot of my classmates in high school have, have gone on to do incredible things. They're brilliant people. And, and I, I, please hear me. There's nothing wrong with Trevecca. I'm, I chose to go there, and I enjoyed it. But, but this idea that you could drop everything, and you could move on, and you could be a disciple. Here's the thing. We talked about kind of our thoughts of what a disciple is. We talked about how we kind of casually throw that term around in our church. Being a disciple is a big deal. Being a disciple isn't this casual thing. It's not just about going to church or just about memorizing stuff. Being a disciple is about dropping everything and following the rabbi to do for the number one thing in your life to be, I want to be like the rabbi. And, and so in chapter 1 of the book of Mark, we see Jesus calling his first disciples. In verses 16 to 20, it says this, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And so we see right here that the rabbi, Jesus, is walking along, and he sees Simon and his brother Andrew, and then James and John, and he calls them to be his disciples. Now, there's a couple things we need to understand from this text. What are they doing? Anybody, what are they doing? They're fishing. Do you know what that means? That means that they were not 
the best of the best. That means that they had gotten to at some point in school and they weren't good enough to move on and they were not the best of the best of the best who could be disciples. And so, so when you weren't good enough, when you weren't the best of the best, what you would do is you would go learn the family trade. And so these four guys became fisher, fishermen because they weren't the best of the best. We're not talking about these students. We're talking about people who had been passed over, who weren't good enough, and Jesus, the rabbi, walks up to them and says, follow me. Be my disciple. Now think about this. This is a big deal. Because Jesus, Jesus, it's really big up there for you, Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of all the earth has come to save the world. And one of the first tasks that Jesus is going to do is Jesus is going to put together his dream team and they're going to go save the world. And so Jesus is walking along and what does he do? Where does he go? He goes to some average Joes. He goes to some average guys, to some fishermen who weren't good enough to make the cut, and he walks up to them and he says, follow me. Jesus is putting together the dream team that's gonna save the entire world that Jesus the rabbi calls fishermen, average guys. The fate of the world lies in the decision that Jesus makes. And Jesus chooses average guys. Why? Why did Jesus choose these average Joes, these fishermen? Why did Jesus choose these guys who weren't good enough? Why not get the best of the best of the best? If you're going to save the world, if you've got this big plan, why not get the best? Let me tell you why. It's because Jesus knows that it's not about their power and their qualifications and their talent. It's not about those guys and what they can do. The only qualification to be a disciple of Jesus is obedience. Jesus has the power to take care of the rest. And so what we see in this story is that there's a bunch of guys who, who are just average guys. They didn't make the cut, but Jesus knows that they don't have to be the best of the best because Jesus is the best. And Jesus' power is so strong that even an average Joe that failed and didn't make the cut and went to Treveca and whatever else is good enough. It's not about those guys. It's about Jesus. The only qualification to be a disciple of Jesus is obedience because Jesus is the best, has the power to do what needs to be done. See, most rabbis had to get the best of the best. Because think about this. If you're a rabbi and you're choosing someone to kind of carry on your legacy and your tradition, then the choice you make has a huge effect on the way people look at you. And so rabbis would sit down the best of the best and they wanted to make sure that they got somebody who could do them justice, who could do the very best so that they could carry on their yoke, their tradition, their legacy. So they wouldn't be embarrassed, so their reputation wouldn't be hurt. But not Jesus. 
Jesus is different. Jesus is the ultimate rabbi. Jesus has the power to make any ordinary person the best of the best. Can you imagine what this must have been like for these disciples, for these guys, for these fishermen? Can you imagine that, that you've been passed over, you weren't good enough, and so you're doing the family trade? And, and, and I'm sure they didn't sit around every day and think about how terrible they were. But, but to be a disciple of the rabbi was a big deal, and they had missed it, and they're, they're in their fishing boats doing what they're going to do with the rest of their life, and all of a sudden, this rabbi walks up to him and says, I want you. Follow me. What an incredible opportunity. You can still be a disciple. In fact, in the book of John, it talks about how these disciples or these guys probably already knew who Jesus was. They'd probably already seen some of the things Jesus had done and maybe heard about Jesus. And so we're not just talking about this random guy. We're talking about this Jesus guy who's doing some really cool things, walks up to them and says, follow me, be my disciple. Can you imagine the feeling that they must have been feeling and what's their response? I'll, I'll get back to you in a week. Give me some time. I'm kind of busy with the fish here. We're having a good conversation. Can you come back later? No. Their response is they drop everything and they follow the rabbi. When you have the opportunity to follow a rabbi, when you have the opportunity to be a disciple, you drop everything and you follow the rabbi. And we're not talking about any rabbi. We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest, the ultimate rabbi. And so they don't even think about it. They drop everything and they follow him. Jesus has picked his disciples and they begin to follow the rabbi. Now I want to kind of jump in a time machine and I want to jump forward. And, and we're going to jump a few years forward to, to actually to Mark chapter 16 where Jesus knows that his time on earth and his ministry on earth is almost done. And so he does this. He says, all right, disciples, you've been with me. You followed the rabbi. Now, he says, go out and preach. And in Matthew's gospel, he says, go and make disciples. In John chapter 20, it says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And so the great rabbi, the ultimate rabbi Jesus, calls the disciples to follow him, and a few years later, his time is done, and he says, guess what? Now it's your turn. Go and do this. Go and make disciples. Keep going. Keep it going. Save the world. See, Jesus pointed to the Father, and the disciples and the rest of creation would point to Jesus, who points to the Father. And so Jesus leaves these disciples with the task of changing and saving the world. That's a huge challenge. We're talking about 12 guys and some other followers, and Jesus says, go change the whole world. Well, let, let's jump forward again. Let's jump forward a long way to right now. We're sitting here in Westchester Nazarene, an access service on a Sunday night, 2,000 years later, and guess what we're talking about? We're talking about Jesus. 
Those average Joes, those regular guys that weren't good enough, Jesus did some amazing things through them. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. We gathered to worship Jesus, to worship God. They weren't good at This isn't because, because those guys were good enough on their own. It's because Jesus, the ultimate rabbi, has the power to do anything through any of us that will be obedient. And so 2,000 years later, we're worshiping Jesus. That's not bad for some average guys, is it? They didn't do a bad job, did they? That's something to celebrate. We've been, we're joining with people from across 2,000 years and beyond, all across the world, and worshiping Jesus, the ultimate rabbi. And it all started with Jesus calling average Joes. That's awesome. Now there's churches all over the place. Now there's churches in almost every country in the world. And all of a sudden, that little group of guys has turned into this big movement. But, but let's stop here. And let's be honest with ourselves. The work is not done. It would be easy to sit here and celebrate and think, yes, they did it. Those average Joes went out and they conquered the world. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about Jesus. But let's just hold on and let's admit that the work is not done. There are still, listen to me, billions of people in this world who are not disciples of Jesus, of the ultimate rabbi. That's billions with a B. There are still billions of people in this world who don't know Jesus and aren't following Jesus. There are hundreds of thousands of people just in the surrounding areas of our community that don't know Jesus. The work is not done. And God's plan to reach the billions with a B and the hundreds of thousands of people outside the walls of this church and the surrounding communities that don't know the ultimate rabbi, Jesus, God's plan is no different than it was 2,000 years ago. God's plan is to use disciples to reach those people. God's plan is to use disciples to spread the gospel and to share the good news that Jesus is our ultimate rabbi and our savior. God's plan is to work through disciples. And so Jesus called his disciples, he sent them out, and if you follow that rabbit trail through generation after generation, guess where you end up? Right here, tonight, in this room, and some other rooms around the world, but right here tonight. And if you look around, Simon, Andrew, James, and John are not with us tonight. Is that correct? Maybe your name might be John or James, but we're not. You, I'm assuming none of you are the people in this story from Mark chapter 1. They're not here with us. So what's the plan moving forward? If Jesus, the great rabbi, isn't here, and, and if those four disciples or 12 disciples or all of those people aren't here, then what's the plan moving forward to save the world around us? What is it? The plan is this. You are invited to be a disciple of Christ. You are invited 
to be a disciple of Christ. You are invited to be a part of God's big plan to save the world. You are a part of the plan. You, and and I don't mean to be mean, but you, average you. Some of you are pretty great. But, But average Joes like us are God's plan to change the world. The work is not done, but you are called to be a disciple in the same way that those four guys in Mark chapter 1 were approached by Jesus, and Jesus said, follow me. I believe that Jesus wants to say the same thing to all of us here tonight. You are invited to be a disciple. Is that intimidating to you? Is that intimidating at all? To think of the world around us and all the stuff that's going on. To think of all the people around our community and, and that, that don't know Jesus and that are living in different ways. Is it intimidating to think that you might be God's plan to reach those people? I, last week I talked about my good friend Doogie. And, and Doogie and I, um, when, when we had just graduated college, we went out to L.A. on a trip because I talked about I love basketball and I was a big Shaquille O'Neal fan. And so Doogie and I bought tickets to some Lakers games and Doogie and I flew out to Los Angeles, just, I mean, just out of college, single guys, flew out to Los Angeles and we landed in the airport and we got our rental car and we went to the, the hotel, checked into the hotel that was just a, a little ways away from the airport and we got this great idea. Like, we're here to see the Lakers play. We're here to see Shaq and Kobe and all these guys play. We should hop in the car and we should go find the Staples Center. We should go find this awesome arena that's one of the best basketball arenas and it has Magic Johnson's statue and and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's statue and all of these greats that have played there. And and Doogie and I were there to watch basketball, so we were like, hey, let's hop in the car and let's go find that place. And me, being the smart guy that I am, I'm thinking, I can handle that. I don't need a map or a GPS. Like, it's L.A., right? I should be able to find the Staples Center. It's a big place. I mean, downtown L.A. is huge. Let's just hop in the car and go. And so Doogie and I hopped in the car, and we started driving. And you know what we didn't find? The Staples Center. You know what we did find? We started to find some really scary things pretty quick. I started to recognize some street names, and I had never been to L.A. before. I started to recognize some street names, but I didn't recognize, it wasn't, I'm not talking about El Rodeo, Rodeo Drive, whatever it is, where all the expensive shopping is. I'm not talking about Beverly Hills Boulevard. I'm not talking about those, I'm talking about Crenshaw Boulevard and some of those other things. And, and do you know why I recognized them? Because I, I'd heard about them in rap music and on TV when, and shows that were about the, the slums and the difficult areas. And all of a sudden, we found, found ourselves in this part of L.A. where we don't know where we're at. All we know is that we're on some street that we've heard about before and not for good reasons. And so we stopped at a gas station, and, and all the windows had bars on them, and the doors had bars on them. And we're starting to think, maybe we're not as smart and as talented and as good and as big as we thought we were. And and I'm a man, but I can admit, we were pretty lost in L.A. Two young guys, didn't know what we were doing, and we were lost. And and I think that's sometimes how we feel as, as being called to be a disciple of the ultimate rabbi and change the world. I think sometimes we can get that feeling of like, how in the world can that happen? 
I'm just, we're just two guys in the middle of a city of millions of people. We're just a room full of people in, in the middle of a world with six, seven plus billion people. And billions of people don't know the ultimate rabbi. And I'm the plan? And you're the plan? We're the plan? Who are we? Who am I? And, and so we could possibly start to think that, that, that we're not good enough. And, and I got some bad news tonight. You're not. <laughs> I love you guys. But you're not good enough. You're not good enough to change the world. But here's the good news tonight. Not only are you called to be a disciple of Christ, but just like we talked about earlier, it's not about your power or your ability or your talent. It's about Jesus. Those average Joes 2,000 years ago didn't have anything that we don't. They were obedient. And Jesus changed the world through them. And I believe here tonight that Jesus wants to call us to follow him, to be his disciples, and I believe that Jesus wants to continue to change the world through us, through little us, little insignificant us. So let's go back to that rabbi-disciple relationship. The rabbi would only choose the disciple if the disciple was good enough. The rabbi would only choose the disciple if they could live up to the calling. So let's ask a really serious question here. Did Jesus mess up by calling average people little insignificant guys who weren't good enough? Well, the answer is on the screen behind us. No, because it wasn't about them. Those guys were plenty good enough when they were with Jesus. When they were obedient and trusted Jesus, Jesus would not have left the fate of the world up to people that couldn't live up to it. Here's the good news tonight. No matter how small and insignificant you seem, you are called to be a disciple of the ultimate rabbi. And the best news tonight is Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best of the best of the best you just have to be obedient. And so tonight, I think the calling, I think tonight the message is simple. I think the ultimate rabbi, I think Jesus, wants to come to each and every one of us and wants to say, follow me. Follow me. Become a disciple, not just come to church, not just go to Bible study or memorize parts of scripture or memorize the hymnal or see the Christian movies, not just the casual discipleship. Jesus wants you to drop everything and to follow the rabbi, Jesus, the rabbi. You're, you're not a nobody with Jesus. You're not insignificant with Jesus, and through your obedience, you can live up to the calling of being a disciple of Christ. And so tonight, I want to challenge you to hear Jesus calling, to hear Jesus saying, follow me, and I want you to drop everything. I want you to make the number one goal of your life to be a disciple of the ultimate rabbi. I want you to make the number one goal of your life to be like the rabbi. Study the rabbi. 
Come to church. There's nothing wrong with church. This is a good place to be, to be like the rabbi. We need this. Study the scriptures. If you're going to be like the rabbi, you'd better know what the rabbi's like. Study the scriptures, but don't just learn the stuff. Don't just memorize, but do everything you can to be like the rabbi. Tonight, you have an amazing calling on your life. And it's better than anything you can do on your own. And that's this. Jesus wants you to follow, to be a disciple, to be like the rabbi. And so tonight, I want you to just say, that's it. I drop everything else, and my number one goal in life is to be like Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be together tonight. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we are too casual about our discipleship. Forgive us about, for the times that, that we think discipleship is just coming to church. And forgive us for the times when, when we, just, we think this is just something we do. But Lord, call us to something so much deeper. Make us your disciples. I pray that each and every one of us tonight would drop everything that would get in the way and would follow you. Not just learn the Bible, not just come to church but to want more than anything else, to be like you, our rabbi. So Lord, we love you tonight. And I just pray that you would be speaking to each and every one of us. And I pray that we would hear your voice calling us to follow. And I pray that we would be obedient, Lord. In thy name, amen.